0: Man, Well, you can grab a seat, head back to your seat, or maybe you like the person that you were praying with and you want to stay there. That's go ahead. That's fine. Um, totally fine. Well, this morning we are again going to be talking about marriage. And uh, I'm only uh, part of uh, the teaching this morning because Cece is going to share uh, another part as well. And uh, last week we dove into Mark chapter 10. And in Mark chapter 10, uh, Jesus is asked this question um, by the Pharisees, and they, were, he asked, they, were asked, they asked him this question to trap him or to test him, and they asked, they asked Jesus, they said, um, is it permissible for a, a man to divorce his wife for any reason? For any reason? What do you say, Jesus? What's your stance on it? And last week, we talked about how uh, in that time, in that culture, and even today, their view on marriage was uh, rather low. Because men treated women like property, and so at the base of their question was this, uh, this heart's desire that just says, can I, can I get rid of my wife for any reason? which demonstrates a lack of love, love and a lack of honor and a lack of care towards women in that, in that culture. And Jesus brought them back, not just to Deuteronomy 24, which is where their question was from, but all the way back to the beginning, all the way back to Genesis two. And he said, this is what marriage is all about, all the way back to the beginning, when, when God said, it's not good that a man is alone, but he will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. And in that teaching, in that correction, Jesus held a very high view of marriage and said, it's all about oneness. It's all about coming together. It's all about two lives becoming one for the glory of God. And he corrected their thinking and said, don't have a a low view of marriage. Have a very high view of marriage. It's about relationship where both are coming together and both offering themselves completely to each other and completely to God. And so I love that picture that he, he, he gives in Mark chapter 10. And it's one that we need to be reminded of over and over again to have a very high view of marriage. A, marriage, a view of marriage that goes all the way back to the beginning, that it's all about relationship. Because at the core of our faith, it's all about relationship with God. And marriage gets to paint a picture of that. Well, this morning, we were going to ask a question and dive into this a little bit more. And we're not going to be in Mark chapter 10. We're going to be in Genesis 2, Ephesians 5, and 1 Peter 3. And we're going to read those in a little bit. But here's the question that I always have about marriage. I, I know on the day that you get married, it says in scripture, and I believe this to be true, two lives become one. You're no longer two, but you are one. You don't uh, just join a family that, that was going on. You start your own family as two lives become one. But the question that I've always had is like, how can people, two people, two people who are so different, male and female, but different personalities, how can they become one? How do you grow in oneness when two are so, two people are so completely different? Like, Cece's going to teach with me uh, this morning, and we are so completely different, we're, we're two different people, completely different. And I'm wondering this morning, like, who is on Team CeCe and who is on Team Dave? I got a couple, like, little illustrations I'm going to, uh, to, to or just a couple things I'm going to share about our lives and how different we are. Um, my favorite meal... My, like, my, like, my, my favorite meal, the thing that I crave, is it's Mexican food. It's like, give me tacos, give me guac, give me rice, give me beans, give me all of that stuff, and frankly, I could live off of Mexican food like every single day. In fact, one day, a couple weeks ago, I had tacos for lunch and tacos for dinner, and it was a good day. It would have been better if I would have had a breakfast taco. That's, that's it. So that's me. What is your favorite meal? Me
1: to be like baked chicken, green beans, mashed potatoes, rolls. That's my idea of a good meal. And soaking wet with gravy.
0: That is an argument that we get into often because when we have a crock pot full of meat and we have to like get it out of there, she's like, leave the juice in. And I'm like, no, it just is too runny and it gets all over the plate and it mixes with other things. And I'm like, I need my food in separate compartments. You drain it dry. See, I dry. have a question for you. How many how many on a different note? How many unread emails do you have right now in your phone? <laughs> See if anybody is similar to you.
1: I'm sure.
0: Do you even know how to open your phone? <laughs>
1: 5434.
0: 5400. 5400 unread messages. Anybody in that camp? Like that's your phone, that's ha! your Ha!
1: <laughs> Told ya. Very normal.
0: I have seven. Seven unread messages just because who's I need on, to get to those. Who's on Team Dave? Who's Anybody who's with me? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Less than half. There are so many times where I'm like, have you read that email from uh, the teacher, from the kid's teacher? And she's like, uh, what email? I'm like, uh, that's, that, there's a reason why. Um, here's, a, here's a great picture of, uh, that shows the differences between the two of us. And Cece, why don't you explain this picture? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I told Jen Schaefer this morning. I was like, "Your favorite picture? I'm going to show it this morning." This was what seven years ago?
0: Something
1: like that, yeah. Um, Dave and I had two desks shoved together in an office. We shared an office, and mine—that was is, a dumb idea. Mine is on the left. Dave's is on the right. I, I was looking at this picture last night. I got an open bag of chips. I got a um, can of spackle. I've got a quart of paint, I've got a microphone, some editing software, an open Bible, so there you go, and a bunch of other stuff, and he's got three little books and a pen.
0: And I will have you notice, like, do you see the line in the middle? Do you see where the two desks come together? She, you don't see that? She is coming over on my side, (laughs) and so there were times I remember sitting there and just like, I would just shove her stuff, just like, (laughs) you get on your side but like that's the question like how do how do two people well
1: who, now we have two offices now i we have th- my own and you have your own
0: <laughs> your office is a lot larger mine is a closet because you need it for all your space but like how do how do how do two different people right. become one i mean you're one the day that you're married but how do you grow in oneness how do you how do you live as one how do you grow in one, oneness and and i believe it comes down to this understanding your role understanding how God created you, and understanding how God designed marriage. Now, this morning, we're going to read, in just a, a couple seconds here, uh, three passages. Um, Genesis 2, Ephesians 5, and 1 Peter 3, and we're going to share out of that. And I want you to read these passages because I want you to know where this is in Scripture so that you can go back to it and say, okay, how does this work uh, in, in our marriage? And that's the big thing. Like, I think too often when it comes to these roles, what's the role of a man and what's the role of a woman, I think too often we, we put um, our own uh, cultural norms on that, our own ideas on that. We're like, okay, it has to look this way. I think one of the most powerful things is to look at the principles of Scripture and then say, and then ask yourselves, if you're in a marriage relationship, ask yourselves, what does this look like in our relationship? How do we live this out? Because I believe the principles are clear in scripture, but I think how you live it out can look very differently. For example, you know, Cece confessed that she has 5,400 emails that uh, she hasn't read yet. Um, When it comes to school and stuff like that, we have talked to numerous teachers and numerous coaches. When you're interacting with us, you interact with me. You email me. I will get back to you. And she goes, and so many have said, well, that is so different. I I, I rarely come across that, you know, where a, a dad responds to the emails and it's not the mom. And I'm like, you know what? That's just how it works in our family, and it could work differently in, in another family. And so I think the thing that I want you to do uh, this morning as we share is how, ask yourself the question, how does this play out in our relationship? And so we're going to start in Genesis 2, and the words are going to be up on the screen. I'm going to read Genesis 2, and then is going to read Ephesians 5, and then we'll hop over to 1 Peter. So Genesis 2, starting at verse 15, says this, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a suitable or a helper fit for him. For the Lord God caused caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made it into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh.
1: But not sharing a desk. No. Okay, let's go to the next scripture. Ephesians 5.22-33. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself.
0: And then turn to the right a little bit, First Peter chapter 3. First Peter chapter 3. It says, Likewise, Wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty, imperishable beauty of the gentle and quiet spirit may not be hindered. I want to share first, and then Cece's going to come up here. What is the role of the man, or what is the role of a husband? And really, I want to start back in Genesis 2, where it says, um, there was uh, Adam in the garden, and it says, the Lord God took the man, and he put him in the garden, in in, in the garden of Eden, to work it and keep it. And then the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in that day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. I believe in that short little section of scripture, we see two responsibilities that God gave to the man, even before Eve was in the picture. And the first one was a physical responsibility. He said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to, I'm going to put you in the garden and you're you're going to work it and you're going to keep it. You are going to care for the garden and whatever that looked like, like, you know, not, I was going to say plucking weeds, that was after the fall, but like watering plants, tending to the garden, whatever that looked like, gave to the man and said, I'm giving you this physical responsibility. You are to work and care for creation. You're to serve creation. You are to be, get your hands dirty. You were created to work. Men in this room, you were created to work. You were created to produce. You were created to get your hands dirty. In fact, years ago when there was a recession, I believe back in 2008, I was talking to numerous men who were finding themselves to be kind of empty and having a void in their lives. And these were men who were laid off, who hadn't worked for uh, a couple weeks, you know, maybe over a month. And they're like, I feel so empty. And in talking to the men, it came down to the fact that they were not living the way that they were created to live. Men were created with this, um, this desire, this need to work, given the responsibility to provide, to work physically. Single men in this room, one of the best ways for you to prepare for marriage someday is to serve. Serve your community. Serve your others. Get your hands dirty. Go to work. Don't play video games all day. Go to work and invest in your life that way. Serve others. We were created to with this responsibility, this physical responsibility, but also a spiritual responsibility. This was given to Adam. God said this, God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. The command is very clear. Like this is the tree that you are to stay away from. Adam, don't eat of this tree. It is not confusing. It is very, very clear. The spiritual leadership, spiritual responsibility, that is the role of the man. And frankly, things go poorly when men don't step up and lead spiritually. I mean, fast forward to Genesis 3, and this is not up on the screen, but, but there we see that, that the enemy, the serpent, is tempting Eve. And in verse 6, we see that the woman ate of, Eve ate of the fruit. And in, in verse 6, it says this, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was, desi- was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate it. Now you think about that. Okay, she took of the fruit and she ate it. She was deceived, whatever. Okay, that happened. But look at this next part. And this next part always breaks my heart. And she also gave some to her husband, who was not at a distance, who was with her, and he ate it. Where was Adam when Eve was deceived? Right next to her. He was, the first sin wasn't necessarily that Eve took of the fruit. The first sin was that Adam didn't protect Eve, that he was passive. He didn't step up to the spiritual responsibility that God gave him. Don't eat of this tree. Don't eat of this tree. And, And when you do that, you will surely die. And there was Adam being passive, sitting and watching his wife being deceived by the enemy. How often does that happen in our world today? How often does that happen in my life when I am passive and I don't step up and lead spiritually like God has called me to lead? Or men, when we don't step up and lead spiritually like God has called us to lead. I've talked to many men and i when said, if your wife was attacked physically, you would be there right away. You would step in front, you would throw a guy down or throw the, the, the person who's coming after your wife down. You would stand up and defend her and you should But even so much more, you need to defend her spiritually. You need to take spiritual leadership. And the truth is, we shared about this last week, your marriage is under attack. And the one that God has called to protect the marriage is you. Men, we need to step up and lead spiritually. And I love that that is happening here in this church. I've seen so many men stepping up and leading. And this is the desire of every woman's heart, to have the man lead spiritually over the years, I've talked to so many men or so many women who have said, I just want my husband to lead spiritually. I'm praying that he steps up spiritually. Men, this is our role to provide physically. To, to have, we have a physical responsibility, yes, but a spiritual responsibility because when God came looking for Adam and Eve, who did he come and talk to? Genesis 3.9, he appeared to Adam and he said, where are you? Where are you? God is coming and looking for us. We will have to answer those questions at some point in the future. How did we lead our family spiritually? The role that the man has, as we see throughout Scripture, is to lead. But the question is, how are we to lead? And I think we get a very clear picture in Ephesians 5. It could be no clearer than this when Paul says to the men, Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. We are to lead in the way of Christ. And how is that? We lead with a towel. We wash feet. We lead by losing our lives. The day that you get married, the day that you get married is the day that you die to self. Well, frankly, if you're a follower of Jesus, before that, you should always die to self. But you are called to die. The day that you get married, you are called to die. I look at Ephesians 5, and so often people will, will get hung up on that first uh, section where it's a, a charge to the women to submit to the husband. And, and CeCe's going to talk about that in just a little bit. And people get really hung up on that word, submit. And I always respond and I say, do you know the man's call to submit is way greater than the woman's? Because that picture in Ephesians 5 of submission is following the commands of, a, of someone in authority. But fast forward to the end of Ephesians 5 and what are we called to do as men? We are not called to just follow the commands of authority. No, we are called to die. And so men, the picture of leadership in your family uh, with your wife is a constant death of self. To serve your wives as Christ served the church. To lay it all down. As you enter the house, don't come in seeking to be served, but to serve. And I believe this is what the world is longing to see. Men rising up to lead, but to lead in the way of Christ and serving like Christ served us. You look all throughout history, and people would say the greatest leader that this world has ever seen, apart from the fact that he was a son of God, is Jesus. And how did he lead? How did he lead? He laid it all down. Men, your greatest achievement won't be from a stage, won't be from a workplace, but your greatest achievement will be how you serve and lay down your life For your wife and your family, that is your role. And I love that 1 Peter says this. 1 Peter says, husbands, honor, value. Show great value to your wives. For they are heirs with you. Treat them with honor and respect. Look at how women were treated all throughout Scripture. Anytime they came to the temple, anytime they approached Jesus, they were honored. They were not dismissed. Jesus uses them as an example, like live like this. He elevated women over and over again. Men, that is our role. The role of any leader is to elevate someone else. Our role as men is to elevate our wives and to lead them in a way of laying down our life for them. And so men at Restoration, men in this, in this uh, room, I challenge you to, raise, to rise up and lead in the way of Christ. This is our role. Ask your wives this question. How can I lead you better? Ask them that question. It's up on the screen. How can I lead you better? And then shut up and listen and let her speak. How can I lead you better? And then more than that, more than just listen, do it. Put it into practice. Reject passivity. Step up. Don't stop saying, I'll do this tomorrow. Step up and lead today. She's going to talk about what's the role of a wife.
1: You know, a lot of times Dave and I will sit down with couples that are going to get married and we read through these, um, we read through these scriptures. And there's always a few words that are like trigger words for the women, which, I mean, I I get it. I understand. And so we're going to talk about three, what I would call trigger words in those scriptures and then really break it down and look at what they mean. So the first one in Genesis 2 is that women were created to be a helper and women will read that and they just kind of ugh, helper. because I think what we think of is like when I, I I mean I did volunteer every now and again like when the kids were little in preschool and you had to be the helper for the day as the mom and so you go in there and they give you a pair of scissors and you're just like cutting paper or gluing something like like you're just sitting you're just kind of helping with mundane things and I think that's what women tend to think of when it talks about being a helper is you're just supposed to sit there and do mundane things, you know, without any thought or personality into it. But really, helper in that instance um, doesn't mean that at all. Um, Throughout the Old Testament, when that same word was used, it was someone who came to the rescue of another. And so sometimes when we go back and read it, in premarital counseling, we'll say, so God created a just right rescuer. Just right. You were made just right. Exactly who you're supposed to be to come to the rescue of your husband, you know, and to help them, honestly, right? Sometimes they need help. You know, that's a good thing. It's okay. Um, the other thing I was thinking about that or reading about this morning is in Genesis 2 in the creation account, It was the first time that God looked at his creation and he said, it's not perfect. It was the first negative assessment when he said, it's not good. It is not good for a man to be alone. So he created a rescuer for the man, a just right rescuer, a suitable helper. And I think that's what, honestly, like feminism gets wrong because I think feminism says I'm good, in my, I'm good enough. I have enough gifts and skills and talents. I don't need a man. I don't need to come under the authority of a man. I can do it myself. And so if you, if you go on to the second trigger word, which I, I've been triggered by this in the past too until I looked further into it, is that word submit. Submission. A woman must submit to her husband. What if we looked at the definition of submission, which is yielding to the authority or will of another person, a voluntary attitude of cooperation with or sharing a burden. Voluntarily cooperating or sharing a burden. Dave has a really good friend, JP, who grew up in India and he remembers being a little boy looking out, watching men and women go about their work. And Dave asked him to send him a voice text about what he observed as a kid in India.
2: Yes, women carrying burdens on their head. And uh, in India, most of the villages, the families cluster together and all the fields are around the village. So in order to get to your field, you have to walk a few kilometers and most often the men would walk with the oxen and the plows and the women would bring the sticks and the kindling for the fire and everything else on their head, including water if they need to pick up some water. So anyway, uh, when I was a kid, I would look out and into the villages and ask my father, like, do they get a break? Like, what happens if the burden becomes too heavy? What do you do about it? And my dad said, watch every few kilometers what you will see. And he pointed out these rather rudimentary uh, granite structures that would be like these two... I would say maybe four to five feet tall um, structures. Like just basically two vertical poles with one horizontal. It's like a granite slab. Two slabs, about five feet tall, and one granite slab on top of it. Just a very rustic structure. And I'll see if I can find a photo to send it to you. But basically, as the women walk by, if they need to rest, they would just lean their burden that's on their head onto this structure, and that's how they would get the rest without having to drop the whole weight onto the floor and have nobody to help them pick it up and put it back on.
1: So these women would actually carry what they would call in their culture a burden on their head. The burden was 100 pounds, 100 pounds of stuff or 100 pounds of water. That is no easy task, that is heavy. So what the men are doing is they're working, they're bringing their oxen, right? They have their sticks and they're they're leading their animals and then the women are carrying the burdens on their head and every so often, every couple of miles or a couple of kilometers, it gets so heavy that they have to lean on that structure And the reason they do that is so that they don't have to completely take the burden off of their head, but they can get a little bit of a break without completely having to take everything off and then put it back on again and then keep on walking. So Jesus talks about casting your burden on him in Scripture, right? Giving that burden to him, letting him carry it. In submission, sharing a burden is the same thing. I I don't need to sit here and tell you how strong I am as a woman or how strong you are as women. We know we're strong right? These, these Indian women, I mean, that's strong to carry 100 pounds of whatever on your head. We, we were created strong. We were created with so many gifts and skills and, and, and talents and things. It's not like, it's not in the scripture saying you're not strong or you're not supposed to operate and be strong and you're supposed to suppress that and you're supposed to let the husband make all the decisions and do everything. It's to share the burden together There are a lot of burdens in life. You're not, women, you're not supposed to carry those yourself and figure it all out. Because when we do that, we get super controlling. Amen? You're supposed to walk along with another person in marriage, and then it says mutually submit to one another. Carry one another's burdens. You know, that's the picture of submission. Submission is not agreeing on everything. It's not leaving your brain at the altar. It doesn't tell you whose job it is to do the laundry. It's not putting the will of your husband before Christ, because if it is, then choose Christ. Submission is a divine calling of a wife to honor and affirm her husband's leadership. Now, in our marriage, which is 22 years, almost 23 We make decisions 50-50. We both have input. We both talk about stuff. We both discuss things, and we make a mutual decision. One or two times in 22 years have we not been able to come to an agreement, and we would go a different way. So back when we were deciding where to send the kids to high school, we were praying about do we send them to Christian school or public school. They'd gone to a Christian elementary school. I would have sent them to Christian High School. We prayed about it. Dave, for whatever reasons, wanted to send them to public school. We, we could not come to an agreement on it. We had a lot of tension over it. We talked about it a lot. And there are great reasons for both. So and that's not what I'm saying. But in that moment, I had to come underneath Dave's leadership as the husband of the family and the leader of the house and know that he is directly responsible to God for the you know spiritual upbringing of our kids and I had to submit to his leadership and say that's not the choice I would have made but that's the choice we're going to do and literally never talk about it again kind of thing you know because it's easy to be like oh he made me do this and you know you complain to all your girlfriends or whatever but that's what to me that's that's a christian marriage it's not that you can't bring your opinions to the table and sometimes things do go my way but like once in 22 years godly submission that's what i'm going to do the other thing is that you might think like dave is a really godly husband dave is a really godly dad he really is he wakes up every morning he's in his word he loves the lord he seeks to follow the lord he prays over me he prays over the kids he is a he's a he's the best that doesn't mean submitting to him is always easy (laughs) that doesn't mean laying down my life is always easy that doesn't mean there's not conflict and discussions like all the time it's not it's not the the Christian marriage isn't an easy calling I don't know really for anybody that that type of thing is easy right but God calls us to a higher standard and he calls us to die to ourselves, and to put the other person's needs first. The other thing is, um, First Peter talks about. This would be what I would say is the. Oh man, I'm talking too long. Do we do that? Yeah. Hmm? Um, I submit to what you want me to do. Go
2: for it. Sure. sure. Okay.
1: The other thing that was always kind of. I'm sorry if you have to leave. Just that's cool. I won't take it personally. The other thing that I always had a hard time with was the quiet and gentle spirit. Have you met me? (laughs) Is there anything in me that is a quiet and gentle spirit? Not, not Not a single fiber of my being, right? And then we looked into it. Peter is writing in a time period where women had converted to Judaism from paganism. So they were pagans, they found the gospel, they decided to follow Jesus, and in that culture, it would have been considered insubordination for a woman to have a different religion than her husband. So if she stepped out of order, the society believed that calamity would fall on an entire town. Um, these women find Jesus and are converted, but they don't really have any rights in this culture. So if Peter actually takes time, first of all, to write them a letter. And unlike other thinkers of the day, he does not tell them to go along with their husband's religion. He tells them how to live in the situation that they are in. The fact that they're getting special instructions from Peter in the midst of being totally counterculture is a really big deal. And so it's ironic, honestly, that the passage sounds oppressive to us. Because in the cultural context, it's liberating and empowering. He's like, women, you're in a less than ideal situation. You are a Christian. Your husband is not. So are you going to win them over to faith by negging and manipulating and talking to your girlfriends about how stupid they are? No. He says, I want you to have a quiet and gentle spirit. You can win them over just by being you. That's how you win them over. So none of this is meant to be oppressive. It's the exact opposite. And so my encouragement, women, to you, to us, is to like look at it in that context and ask your, you had like some big question for the men, like how can I lead you better? And I would say, how can you submit better by offloading your burdens? by sharing the weight, by understanding you don't have to do it all and you don't have to control and manipulate your way to get something.
2: Thank you.
0: I think as we end, I want to end this way and, and Tyler, you can come up with the worship team. We I left out Ephesians five twenty one 21 um, on purpose because most often when People get to the roles of a, a man and a woman, uh, husband and wife. They start reading in uh, Ephesians five twenty-two, and actually one version of uh, scripture uh, starts the section that way, like uh, on Ephesians five uh, verse twenty-two: "Wives, submit to your husbands." And then it gets to uh, uh, the, the the man, um, love your wife as, as Christ loved the church. But here's what it says in Ephesians five twenty-one: Paul says this, and I think this is the key to any relationship, the key to relationships in the church, uh, the key especially to uh, to marriages. Paul says this, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Where problems arise is when we don't submit to one another, we just want to be selfish. When, when men, our, our leadership is more domineering than the way of Christ. When we come in with a heavy hand and just like, do this, that's not submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Or when women come in and, and try to control or will nag their husbands, say, eh, that's not submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. The secret is this. It's coming to every relationship, coming to specifically to, to the marriage relationship and, and recognizing it's not 50-50. You know, she said that in, in the context of making a decision. But it's not 50-50 like, oh, I'm going to serve them, but I'm also going to do you know, some things for myself. No, it's giving 100% of yourself. Giving all of yourself and saying, I am laying down my rights. I'm going to serve this person. And when we do that, amazing things happen. All throughout scripture, it says, have unity of mind, brotherly love. Have a humble and contrite spirit. Prefer or serve others ahead of yourself. And so I want us to pray. I want to pray for the men in this room. And Cece's going to pray for the women in this room. And then we're going to sing the song, uh, Lord, I Need You. And as we just sing that and wrap up this morning, I just want us to be looking at our relationships, looking at our marriages and say, Lord, I need you. We need you. And where can I grow? Where can I lead better? Where can I help better? And so I want to pray. And then I want you to ask one another these questions. How can I lead you better and how can I help you? Is there any way that I hinder you? And so, Father, I thank you for the men in this room. I thank you and I praise you for the ways that I'm seeing the men step up and leading, leading with a, a, a towel, leading with a, a selfless heart. Father, I thank you for the ways that they are, are hungering and thirsting for you. And Father, I thank you for the ways that they are um, showing the love of Christ so well to their families. Father, I ask, I ask that, that the men in this room as men in this room, we would reject those cultural norms. The, the way that the world would say that, that men are supposed to act. I ask that we would reject that and look at, to you, Jesus. Be transformed by that renewing of our mind and, and seeing, Jesus, the way that you led. And Lord, for those in this room who have doubts like, can they do that? Lord, I ask that you would show them and reveal to them that they can, that they can step up and lead, that that, that is the way that you have created them. And that if they need help, that you connect them with other men who are going to encourage them uh, to, to go in that direction. But God, I pray and I ask that you would just really seal this on the men in this room, on their hearts. They are called to lead like your son Jesus.
1: And I thank you for every woman in this church today, Jesus. I thank you for how strong you created us to be. But I just pray if there are women this morning that are carrying burdens that are too heavy that they were not meant to carry, God, that you would just give them peace and freedom to offload that burden to you, Jesus, and also offload it to their husbands as well. I just pray over anyone that just feels like it's too much, it's too hard, I'm in this alone one that's the spiritual head of my household and I want my husband to lead. God, show us how to pray. Show us how to have a quiet and gentle spirit. Show us how to um, serve and, and love our husbands the way that you love us. Show us the picture of the way that you love the church and let us love each other in that way. Let's rejoice in who you created us to be, our unique and wonderful individual strengths and gifts and abilities. Help us to be more like you so that we can give the world an accurate picture of what it looks like to be selfless and full of joy and God-fearing. Thank you for creating marriage. Thank you that in it we become one with each other and one with you. Move and work in a powerful way. In your name. Amen.
0: Stand together and sing the song, Lord, I need you.